You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Western history has led us to the most prosperous age in the history of humanity. And yet more and more, our kids are taught to be ashamed of their country. Are you tired of Common Core, Howard Zinn-influenced, revisionist history in our schools? Do you want your family to have fun learning about history that you can trust? Do you want your kids to learn to love history? Then DriveThroughHistory.com is for you. The guys over at DriveThroughHistory.com have created a world of entertaining, on-location, video-based courses for your kids. They've got ancient history, American history, biblical history, and world history. Perfect for all of you who find yourself homeschooling for the first time. It's fun, and your kids are going to love it. To learn more, head over to drivethruhistory.com forward slash Zuby, Z-U-B-Y, where they've got streamed courses and old school DVDs, and you can use the code Zuby, Z-U-B-Y, at checkout for 20% off any order. That's drivethruhistory.com forward slash Zuby. Go check it out. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on an entrepreneur. She is the founder and CEO of Real Fruit. And this is, of course, Afi Williams. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Zuby. It's an absolute pleasure. So Afi, I've done a very quick top line intro right there. But for people who are not familiar with you, tell them who you are. Okay. Um, I'm Afi from Nigeria. Um, I, I run a company, a fruit processing company. We sell uh, dried fruit snacks um, in Nigeria, the first company to do so, and you know, have ambitions of just making um, Nigerian products and selling them across the world. So really uh, focused on building a very successful enterprise that is impactful and empowering and creates a lot of employment. So that's kind of my uh, my quote-unquote gig right now that I've been doing for the past eight years and uh, what I've, I'm, I'm focused on. Um, I've lived around the world. I grew. I was born in the UK, uh, lived in Nigeria till I was 11, moved to the US and then South Africa. And then just after living in South Africa for 12 years, sort of, you know, felt this itch to come back home and start a business. And at 26, I quit my, I quit my job and I told my mom I'm buying a one-way ticket home. And I never looked back. And that's, uh, that's my, my story in a nutshell. Wow. So tell me a little bit more about all these different places that you grew up in. Why were you moving around so much? Uh, well, I was fortunate that my mother had, uh, you know, she was in the health, you know, health uh, sector and, and really had an opportunity to 
to, to get jobs across outside of Nigeria and around the world. And she traveled a lot. Um, so I definitely uh, sort of, you know, got, got the windfall of that. And I got the, um, you know, the opportunity to live in different countries because of her work um, and just, you know, sort of get an appreciation for different cultures and really be, I would say, more observant around about different you know, people who are different to me, um, different to my way of life, um, and and you know, sort of just even finding myself across all of that. So it was it was it was an interesting upbringing. I mean, it has its pluses and negatives. I know I know you you sort of um, have lived in different countries as well, um, and it, and it does have its pluses um, in the sense that you you're you sort of you know you're sort of like able to I would say adapt more easily, but at the same time you don't have as many roots. At least for me, that was one of the the downsides was that I didn't build enough roots in terms of having friends for a long period of time because I was moving quite a bit and, um, and you know, um, just uh, nowhere really felt like home, I guess, till I came back to Nigeria. I got you. So what was it that spurred you to go back to Nigeria? Was that specifically to start up the company or was something else pulling you back? Yeah, I mean, it was really just, uh, and uh, you know, it was really, it was really a, a, I would say the gift of finding my purpose. I mean, I, I was working in a very, very safe environment, enjoyed my job. And my job was at the time working with entrepreneurs. So I definitely got inspired by, by just seeing all these guys who took a lot of risk and their risk had like outsized impact in, in other people's lives. Right. I really was attracted to, to that idea of taking risk and the reward being more than just, you know, sort of uh, monetary wealth. Um, that you know, if you were successful, you would you would create this business and enterprise that would create a lot of jobs, and and that used to um, really inspire me. And then I just had this um, thought while just reviewing and my life and just thinking about next steps. And I just started getting this idea of like, you know, uh, I should become an entrepreneur. I should do it. I should bite the bullet and take the risk. And and at that time also, I had an appreciation for the fact that I was privileged, not not, not in the way people, people use the term today, but certainly had the privilege of being able to take this risk because I knew I would not, you know, ever be hungry on the street. I knew that I had family and I had cushion and I thought, well, you know, this is what I'm meant to do, then I should get about to doing it. And I think um, that's something I am actually grateful for because, uh, you know, every day I wake up feeling like this is what I'm meant to be doing with my life. I have no doubt about that. I don't question that at all. And and so when that when that buzz really hit, I I, I, I sort of obeyed it. I I didn't I didn't put it I didn't put it on the back burner. I started doing research. I spent a year doing research. Um, I I just became, you know, obsessed with with the idea of just building this thing that was bigger than myself and I and I and I and I took it on and and you know sort of haven't looked back since. That's awesome. And what is it that made you want to start a company that sells dried fruit snacks? What was the thinking behind that? Well, there were a couple of things. One was around, um, you know, doing something that hadn't been done before. So we're the first company to introduce it to Nigeria. And uh, the second was about, you know, building a business that would sort of add value locally to to fruit. So where, where, um, you know, you know, Africa is known for selling commodities and just raw materials. I wanted to, to sort of start a business where I could add value locally and then export and sell up, you know, sort of high quality products um, within Nigeria, but also outside. So that's how I settled in that, in that, um, you know, in that sector. And, and it was, a gift and, and a curse because in the beginning, you know, launching something that, you know, being a pioneer in an industry takes a lot of time to sort of get um, people 
into the product, right? You know, people don't know about it. There's a lot of hesitation and rejection and it took like a good three to four years to sort of build the momentum in terms of, you know, being sure that we had a market and that people actually, you know, started to ask for the product. And we knew that, you know, it was sort of a, a sort of a, a brand that would, would, would survive. Um, and that took a while. That took a lot of legwork, a lot of rejection, a lot of, um, you know, lulls in time. But um, I think it's been worth it because now we're the biggest company in our, in our um, you know, sort of in our subsector. And, you know, it's really hard to compete against us because <laughs> we've done a lot of the work. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, con- congratulations on that success. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, something I'm really interested in as an entrepreneur myself is to spend a little bit more time on the, you know, the earlier stages, the difficulties, the challenges, the rejections, all that kind of stuff. Because mm-hmm. what always happens with individuals and companies and entrepreneurs is people see the people see the end result. By the time people see something, there's probably already been 5, 10, 15, 20 years or, or more work that has gone into it before it came onto that person's radar. So it's very easy to look at an individual or look at a company and just say, oh, wow, this thing, this thing just came along and became big and became successful or whatever. But a lot of people, unless they themselves are entrepreneurs, don't understand the amount of perseverance mm-hmm. and how thick a skin you have to have and just dealing with rejection yeah. and knocking on doors that people don't want to open, all that kind of stuff. So can you talk us through some of the starting pains and the growing pains of it? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a very interesting question because I, I do think that there is, um, you know, there there's always a, a little bit of a tendency to sort of gloss over the years and just show the end result and the numbers. And I mean, even as an entrepreneur, eight years in, I'm still sort of in the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still not all roses. I'm I'm still not out of the woods. And while I think we have built a lot of success, there is a, a lot more to um to do. Um, and it, and in the early age, in the early stages, beyond just the um, you know, the challenges with um, lack of finance and, you know, sort of um, uncertainty around the market, et cetera. I think there are a lot of personal struggles that are, that actually I think are, are, are more important, um, not more important in that sense, but they, but they're equally important as at, at the very least around, you know, self-doubt around, um, you know, anxiety. Um, I mean, people throw around that word a lot, but, you know, when you're running a business and you sort of, you know, quit everything and taking risk or mortgage your home, that that is anxiety, you know, um, um, sort of uh, creating, uh, you know, an environment that creates a lot of anxiety. Um, there's a lot of worry about whether you're doing it right. And I think um, building that confidence was something that took me a lot of time. I was in the very early stages in the first two, three years, I don't think I was confident around the business I built. I thought I picked the wrong idea. I thought it wasn't big enough. I thought I was investing a lot of my time in something that wouldn't amount to anything. And that created a lot of burden on me. And I think that that's important um, uh, to note because uh, that sort of crisis of of existence, if you will, um, as an entrepreneur is is something that, you know, everybody faces and, and people deal with it in, in many ways. Some people sort of tend to hyper-focus on business and then you everything is about your business and you tend to just have a singular focus. You tend to not be the dynamic sort of interesting person you were because some people, um, you know, sort of let the health go. They gain a lot of weight. They start eating badly. They start drinking to cope. They start smoking to cope. Um, there's so many coping mechanisms that are not healthy that people take just to sort of 
survive and strive through all the, the all the uncertainty. I mean, the amount of risk an entrepreneur takes, I think, is not appreciated and is very difficult to appreciate when uh, when you're not in it. Um, so that 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 did cause a lot of um, you know sort of I say I would say grief for me in the early days. Um, and you just get used to it. I don't even think that it goes away per se. I think you get used to rejection. I used to take rejection very personally. Um, I used to wallow in a lot of self pity. I used to think the world was coming to an end. I thought every problem was the end, and I thought I didn't I didn't deserve. Um, you know, bad things to happen to me. And I had to build confidence and I had to build a mentality that was more solution oriented, that was more positive and optimistic. And um, it takes time to do that. Um, and, and that is very, um, very, very difficult to sort of maneuver while you're trying to also, you know, sort of save face and and, and lead and build a company. Mm. So th- those those challenges were really, um, you know, were really daunting. And I would say very unexpected. Um, you know, you, you, nobody can tell you in a advance how much you know how much you're gonna have to suffer really in entrepreneurship before before you sort of quote unquote see a little glimpse of light at the end of the tunnel yeah most definitely and even if people tell you it's always going to be more than Mm -hmm. what you think it is even when you get the forewarning just like you know everything takes longer than you think it will even when you even when you bear that in mind everything still takes longer so exactly yeah were there any particular moments where was there any sort of singular or particular moment maybe where you were just like, what am I doing? Or, you know, I'm doing the wrong mm-hmm. thing or, you know, this is that, that moment of like real doubt. Did, did you experience that? Oh, absolutely. There, there are two really pertinent ones. One was like, I would say in the first, in the second year, second mm-hmm. and two, maybe between second and third year of business, I actually went and developed a whole new business plan for <laughs> a much bigger like business idea because I was just in so much doubt. I, I went, built a financial model, did a business plan for this bigger idea. And, and I, I sort of thought I would attach it to what I'm currently doing to give the impression that the business was way bigger and we had this big plan. And it was just it was all a way to sort of, I would say, you know, um, you know, sort of like ease a little bit of the, the 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 doubt and worry I had that I wasn't, you know, building a big enough business. So I wasn't in the right business. And it did like it took maybe two, three months of my time away from my real business to go, you know, sort of off track and, and build this entire sort of tangential idea. Um, and, and it was really because I didn't believe that what I was doing was um what's good enough to scale. And I think I would say, um, and and then and sort of that didn't work out, obviously, because <laughs> nobody's going to trust me with a much bigger business when you're just starting out one. So I, I quickly moved on from that. And, and there was another sort of, um, I guess, a secondary crisis, I think most entrepreneurs feel where you kind of feel too good for the business you're running. So you feel like, you know, you should be bigger than you are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at, at some point, I think two years ago, I, I just felt like, you know, this, this is not a, uh, this is not an indictment on me. It's the country I'm operating in. I'm too good. I'm, I'm, I'm really a smart entrepreneur. I'm, I'm a gifted entrepreneur. I work really hard. So the fact that I'm not growing is um, is not about me. It's about the country. It's about the market, et cetera. And I was just, I was just losing interest um, because I just felt that I wanted to, to work on something big. I, I'm ambitious. I am dedicated. And I just felt I should be leading something much bigger than it is. And I felt, I I, I sort of entertained the thought of quitting. Mm -hmm. And I said, I, you know, I would, I would quit and not feel like a loser. I wouldn't feel like I, I, um, I, um, I sort of, 
you know, sort of was defeated because I can stand and say I'm a great entrepreneur. It's not my fault. I basically came to the point where I had a legitimate reason and had peace that I could walk away from the business because I just felt like no matter what I did, wasn't growing fast enough. Um, and, and, and that was, um, you know, something I, I think, you know, I mean, I, I felt a little bit heartbroken because I always thought no matter what I could, I could, you know, withstand anything that was thrown at me. Uh, but at this point, I just, I felt I, I was ready to move on. But luckily, you know, things started changing and, and we started seeing this big uptick and we started growing and we started raising external finance and, and, and everything sort of started, you know, coming together and reminding me that, you know, um, we, we, you know, we have a lot more growth ahead of us and, you know, basically, you know, signaling to me that there was still a lot more for me to do. Uh, so that those are my two real crisis moments that I felt, you know, I could I could walk away and, you know, I, I could sort of, um, you know, you know, sort of leave what I was currently doing. Yeah, I hear that. No, it's it's difficult to um, there are always those moments. And I think that that is one thing that really separates individuals mm-hmm. is the people who are able to persevere and show that grit yeah. and determination to get through those moments where you're just like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? You're, you start questioning, yeah. you start questioning your whole existence and thinking, exactly. oh my gosh, <laughs> have I made, you know, like myself, I, I went to start my music full time in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I started and cool. I was, you know, I thought things were going to go, thought things were going to go faster than they yeah. did, you know, and I, you know, I had some small successes here and there and I was doing stuff, but, you know, I was just, you know, especially financially and just being up and down all around the place and with the way the music industry was changing with downloads coming and streaming coming and all of yeah. these different things, I was just like, oh my gosh, have I, have I made an error here? You know, in one way I felt like, no, no, this is definitely what I want to be doing. But in another mm-hmm. way, I was like, man, is it? Is it supposed to be this difficult? Is it supposed to be yeah, yeah. such a grind? You know what I mean? Like uh, I'm. You think you're tough, and you're like, but this is kicking my ass. And but I'm I'm a tough person. Like yeah. I, I, you know, you it just it it does weigh wear on you in all facets. You know, yeah. and and I and I think there's also the idea of just being. You know, you give up so much of yourself, your personality, your interest. You know, somebody said you become this hyper-focused, like one-dimensional character where it's all about your business. And, you know, people talk about like life balance. And I mean, you know, it's nice in theory, but for the (laughs) most part, entrepreneurs are working harder and working longer hours than most people. And they don't have, you know, the traditional work-life balance. So you are putting in a lot and, and yeah, you're like, is it meant to be this hard? Am I like, what more do I have to give kind of, exactly. um, you know, what, what more should I give uh, to make this thing work? It, yeah. it, 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 it does get overwhelming. And what was the turning point for you? What was the moment where you were like, okay, this is working, right? People, people like this, people want mm. this. Um, this is something that can grow. There's demand for it, um, et cetera. Mm. What, what, what was the moment where you were like, okay? I would say that um, there, there are two things that I look for. One was, you know, around, you know, obviously most, like, like a lot of entrepreneurs, I'm driven by a mission. I'm driven by a purpose. You know, people think, I mean, I don't know how many people think it's about money. Maybe in today's age, people just like ogle rich people and think, oh yeah, they're just doing it for the billions. It's like, no, when you're broken, you're like mortgaging everything. Um, you're, you're, you're very rational. It's not about the billions. It's about being, you know, this internal motivation or this mission that's driving you. And I, I looked at my mission to always recharge. Why did I start the business? Why, you know, what, what purpose am I trying to achieve? 
Mm. And when I find that when when I see that in the business, I am much more uh, motivated to keep, keep grinding. And for me, the biggest one is employment. And, you know, I'm from a third world country. I'm from the poverty capital of the world. That's just Nigeria. And and and, and I believe in creating, I believe in using enterprise as a way to, to solve, um, to solve that problem or chip away at that problem most mm. I can. And when my business started employing a lot of people, um, started creating a lot of jobs, I just get this extra motivation to work, not just for myself, but for my employees. And, you know, there's also another sort of um, neat thing where, you know, you know, the, the ideas in your business plan start coming to life. So when you wrote in your business plan like 10 years ago that or eight years ago that, you know, you would start selling on airlines and all of a sudden you are on airlines and you're like, oh, crap, like this is really happening. You know, the assumptions I had are coming. So it's, it's something about just having um, things come to life that keep motivating you and just keep you going. Um, you know, a lot of the companies that I thought five years ago I would want to um, start serving, we are right now. And nice. that gives me a lot of confidence that, you know, we are on track and, and, and you know, we sort of, uh, we, we were, you know, we, we were on the right track, let's say. That's awesome. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So as someone who, uh, who's gone back to Nigeria to start a business there and um, gain employees and everything, what what are your thoughts on, so of course I'm I'm also originally from Nigeria. You know I'm mm-hmm. you know yeah. Niger- like you, you know Nigerian Nigerian and British. So uh-huh. Nigeria is a country where I feel I, I find Nigeria to be a rather like I haven't spent a lot of time there. I haven't lived there, but I've visited many times. And it's one mm-hmm. of those countries where I it it feels very frustrating to me mm-hmm. because it seems like the potential is huge. Right in yeah. in so many ways, the potential of Nigeria is is phenomenal. But at the same time, it's like there are there are just certain things that make it. It's like things are just way, so much more difficult than it seems yeah. like they should be or they or they need to be. So, do you sort of feel that same way? And then also, what do you think can be done to help Nigeria specifically or similar countries? to fulfill such potential. I mean, I think from what you've said, your own mission is that that's a big motivator for you, right? To mm-hmm. help grow the economy and provide jobs yeah. and everything everything like that. So, do you think that's the way forward or do you think there are other things that need to be done? Yeah, I mean, 100% agree with you. Nigeria is like the country of potential, but unfortunately, you know, potential has no value <laughs> except mm. it is sort of on earth, except it's realized. Mm. And as somebody who has been in Nigeria for almost a decade now, you know, living in my adult life, I have seen a lot of sort of circular sort of, um, you know, um, history repeating itself a, a lot when it comes to the economy and when it comes to how things are done, you know that sort of prevents us from moving forward. So a lot of government policy, for instance, um, you know, things that were tried in the 60s and 70s and the 80s and 90s are just keep being repeated and keep giving us the same results. So this is a country of such industrious people. I mean, you come to Nigeria and I mean, everybody leaves saying, oh, you know, there's just this energy and this enterprising spirit. But life is really, really hard for people. I mean, you know, it's a country where people suffer so much just to get basic things and it shouldn't be that way. And it's a country where people have so much potential to do more. But unfortunately, um, you know, we are we are sort of limited by... I would say a lot by the government and the style of like a socialist sort of government that 
doesn't believe in markets and doesn't believe in, um, you know, sort of uh, free markets and, and doesn't really believe enterprise is the best way to grow an economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Nigerian Nigerian government is believes that they are best suited to grow the economy. And so they 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 enact these policies that ensure government control first at mm-hmm. the expense of private capital coming in at the expense of expertise coming in to grow the economy. Um, you know, you'll have these really bad policies around subsidies um, and, you know, trying to control consumption, trying to control how people, what people buy and import, et cetera. And, and it's just so stifling um, to, to um, you know, to entrepreneurs like myself, but also just to the country as a whole, because you have a big population, there's a lot of interest. But if the, you know, if the macroeconomic policies are not clear and are not stable, people won't bring their money here. And so you start to... Um, then you you just sort of regress and and we're a country that's sort of addicted to oil revenue. So the government is 90% funded by oil. Mm. Um, so it doesn't matter how the economy um, um, sort of whether it's growing or stagnating or regressing, the government collects like only 5% of its revenues from tax, mm. uh, 90% from oil. So it's really dependent on oil. And then when the oil price crisis crashes, as it has sort of in the last couple of years, uh, we just see this acceleration, you know, or deceleration, however you want to put it, uh, where things just start to unravel with the economy. So I think that is sort of the biggest frustration. And and, um, you know, you ask about the solution and really Nigeria and Africa as a whole is just not plugged to the global economy. That is a big problem. I mean, you have a continent of a billion people only contributing 2% to global trade. You can't you can't in the in 2020 not have a lot more to offer the world because that's how you create value. And when you create value, you're rewarded for it. So this idea that... Um, uh, you know, we were somehow structurally, um, you know, disadvantaged because of colonization and all those stories that, you know, sort of uh, people tend to accept and also present um, to the world as the reason why we're poor is just not, I mean, whether it's valid or not, it's not, it's not solving any problems, you know, mm-hmm. you don't want the world treating you like a charity project, which is how Africa is treated. You want to be an investment case. You want to be a business case. You want yeah. to be an opportunity, um, not charity. And that's what African governments do. They go around, you know, saying, well, you know, you know, poor us, poor Africans, you know, give us aid and all these things. And nobody benefits really the nothing really changes um and the hard work that you need to do to plug into the global economy um you don't do so you end up you keep getting left behind this is what i always say about a lot of these ideas that um permeate with with keeping people or or making people feel like victims or making a whole continent feel like victims it's like yeah okay they're victims and you've told them they are and you've said you're sorry well, what's next? Like, what is the solution? That's not going to change. You know, nothing changes. They're still responsible for doing what they have to do to sort of come out of that. So it doesn't, you know, the rhetoric and the empty words just don't, um, you know, um, you know, they don't, they don't change anything. And I think that is the solution that, you know, Africa, African governments need to see themselves and see their countries as, you know, active players in a global economy and, and have more to bring to the table versus think that the world is sort of extracting um, from them only. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be a very contentious, um, you know, viewpoint, but it's sure. the truth. Like, I'm sorry, you're, you're the poorest continent in the world. There's not much to extract. I mean, I mean, your GDP is not bigger than like New York state. Uh, it's not, 
you know, it's not, it's, it's just a false narrative that the issue is that people just take from the continent or take from Nigeria. It's that we are not doing the work to build enough value to be um, sort of rewarded for it. I mean, I'm not trying to be oversimplistic, but the mm-hmm. general gist is that we're not playing the game and, and we, we keep getting left behind. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I understand that. Um, I mean, I often say to people, look, on an individual level, on a collective level, on a national level, et yeah. cetera, um, you know, history, history is immutable and the, mm-hmm. the past is the past and yeah. we can, we can all point out injustices and bad things that have happened in the past, how much bearing yeah. they have on things today. Of course they have, they'll have some bearing to what degree is, you know, varies from issue to issue and is always going to be debatable. But the thing that is not really debatable as far as I'm concerned is that, you know, Number one, you can't change the past. Number two, whining and complaining about it indefinitely is, you know, mm-hmm. it, might, it might make people feel better. It might make people on an emotional level feel good or think that they're yeah. doing something, but it doesn't do anything, right? Actions, actions do things, choices, yeah. decisions, things that can be done now in the present, looking towards the future and seeing, okay, what can we do now in 2020 to make, you know, the next year better and 10 years better and 50 years better, mm-hmm. et cetera. That's really where the focus needs to be and i, I mean, think yeah go ahead I, sorry i find it you know th- this whole idea of um you know you talk about victimhood a lot and you talk about responsibility and and i just don't know how we think or our society thinks that a, a culture where people are disempowered by feeling like things happen out of their hands or i mean i just can't fathom that people my age talk about colonization as the reason today when you've had 50 years of African governments uh, saying colonization is the reason we're poor yet you know there are there's numerous examples of mass corruption and all these things that that have probably done worse and and they've our leaders have committed more atrocities than than the colonizers but today you get a sense of um you know sort of comfort by saying something that happened in the past that is out of your control is the reason where you are today. Mm. I, I think it's such a disempowering narrative. And I, I think that, that that's the harm that, you know, people, what, you know, at what cost are you feeling good? You're feeling good at the cost that you're perpetually being told that you, you know, it's not your fault, but more importantly, you can't do anything to change it. Mm. And you build that where you keep, you, you know, the first then um, sort of line of reasoning is, well, who's to blame versus what can I do? I mean, the power to to do something, the power to act. I was thinking, I was reflecting on that today, you know, as I was driving, I was like, even looking at people who are poor and rabid, the responsibility still falls on them to wake up every day, even if it's to go beg or to go work or do anything. Like nobody is, you know, is, even if people pity them, the responsibility still falls on them. So I find that this idea that we should be going into the past to find things to blame Mm -hmm. is really just giving people, um, you know, sort of, it's really robbing people, I think, of of their ability to create solutions. I don't think you can be solution-oriented when you're always saying, well, that guy's at fault and that person is at fault and, and, you know, and and you're not really, um, and again, you're, you're sort of getting some sort of, reward or incentive for for pointing fingers and blame versus finding solutions mm. um it's, it's it's kind of warped in my view yeah no i think you're i think you're completely correct and you know even in cases where it's true or it's true to a degree what you've yeah. said doesn't it doesn't change right not everyone uh, you know on again individually collectively not everyone is we're not all you know bad things bad things happen you know bad things happen yeah. in history bad things happen to individuals 
so on and so forth on all sorts of levels, right? But ultimately, that's still that person's life. It's still that person's responsibility or that nation's in this case. And Mm -hmm. you can acknowledge things and you can have sympathy for things and you can discuss things and get around issues. But again, I think people are always wanting to look back and point the fingers outwards rather than wanting Mm -hmm. to look forward and point the fingers at themselves and look at themselves in the mirror, look at their own community in the mirror, look at their own country in the mirror and say, okay, what can we do? What can we do now? What can we do in the near future that's going to make things better for us, make things better for our future children, future generations, and so on, rather than constantly looking back and saying, you know, well, in 1800, this happened. And in 1900, you know, we should know history so we don't repeat the nonsense. Yeah. And people always, I remember once somebody, you know, there's a time where I was like, you know, I feel so privileged for, you know, um, you know, have being a have versus, you know, have not in Nigeria mm-hmm. where there's such an equality, et cetera. And somebody asked me on social media, it's like, what, what are you doing with all this guilt, this guilt you have and you're expressing, what is it doing? What, what is it solving? And it really hit me as you know, sort of a, you know, forced me to interrogate, like, you know, is it something I'm doing to make myself feel good? Or, I mean, there is expressing sympathy, there is expressing compassion, but, you know, you can get addicted to the idea that you feel for everything and thus you're better, yeah. uh, but you're not doing anything really. Yeah, you're just, yeah, exactly. you know, sort of getting a hit of feeling like I'm a good person because I feel bad. Mm-hmm. And since that person asked me that question, I just, I thought about it strongly and it's like, well, turn, you know, like, turn that into a more productive emotion or a more productive action. Like Mm -hmm. your guilt does not do anything for anybody. It just makes you, you know, at the very best, maybe even makes you feel, you know, depressed and unable to do and removes, you know, your uh, sort of any sort of action oriented idea you may have had, but at the very worst just makes you feel good for a few seconds and you move on because you can't do anything. And I thought that was so, you know, that was such, um, a, a poignant question the person asked me and I, and I took it to heart and I said, well, you know, just, just be careful that this, all this guilt is not about you, you know, mm-hmm. it's not just about making you feel good. Yeah. Uh, Cause you know, humans, we have, we have ways of sort of like convincing ourselves of so many things, uh, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. uh, for sort of, uh, you know, for, for a hit of, of, of sort of morality as it were. So it, it's really worth checking that, you know, the idea that that, that com- compassion and sympathy and the the, the worst empathy uh, can can actually be quite negative, um, yes. you know, negative ideas. People just think you're a terrible person for saying that, but I'm like, you know, you can claim to have empathy for things, and it becomes very self-serving, and then you become this person who just wants to be known to have empathy for things. So you are then sort of co-opting all these ills to just make yourself look good. That is a lack of self-awareness and that is not a good thing. So, you know, not all these things that sound good that just, you know, you know, you know, just, you know, look like compassion and passion and empathy and morality actually lead to any positive or tangible outcomes for the collective, even the individual. Mm. So, yeah, I, I spend time thinking about things. Yeah, like no, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I'm just sitting here nodding. I mean, number one, you've got nothing to feel guilty about. Right. So this idea of people like you feel guilty when you've done something bad. If I do something wrong or I hurt somebody or I, I I don't know, I do something bad, then that's what that's the correct time to feel guilty. I'm not going to feel guilty for um, having whatever privileges I have. And I do have them. I'm not going to feel guilty about that. Why should I? Why why would I feel guilty about it? Um, And then also, you know, this is something I said a while ago. it It went very viral. But I said, you know, nowadays people care more about feeling good than doing good. 
mm-hmm. right? Or, yes, or, or people, or or people thinking they're a good person rather than just being a good person, right? This whole yeah. virtue signaling: I'm going to self-flagellate and I'm going to acknowledge my privilege and acknowledge my guilt yeah. and I'm going to put <laughs> the never right. Never give up that privilege, though. You'll no, never no, give it no. up. But you'll say, <laughs> no, there was I a w- fascinating thread I saw about this guy who was like, you know, I just have to come on social media and admit that the house I'm living in is because my mother gave me a thirty thousand dollar loan and. You know, her ancestors were slave owners. And I'm like, okay, the logical conclusion is give up the house if you feel so badly. But there was no talk <laughs> about living up the house. Never, I'm like, never. Well, invite some poor people in then. Exactly. Let them live with you. No, no, no. Yeah. It ends at just, you know, the show of it all. <laughs> yeah, the ce- cele- celebrities are the worst. The Hollywood celebrities, when they come and, you know, they'll fly in their private jet and start lecturing yeah. you about, about like climate change. And they'll yeah, have exactly. their, their ten, 10 mansions sitting there empty. While they're telling exactly. you about, you know, admonishing you for um, or like wanting tighter. Or like the police while my like private guards make oh, people tase you. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's, on, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I, love, yeah. I love when people see through it. So I, I think we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're very much no, on the same wavelength. I think we're all wavelength. seeing through it. Yeah, yeah, we're all getting to that point, right? It's like, hold up, this doesn't add up. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious to know more about the, um, we, we've talked a little bit about setting up the company, but I'm curious to know more about the, the product itself um, mm. and why, why you chose that and what the, response has, what the response has generally been. Because if you're starting a company, there's a whole bunch of things you can do. Um, so mm-hmm. what made you go, you know what, I want to I wanna sell dried fruit. Yeah. So we picked dried fruit um, because one, I think at the time I just picked it because there was, I was, I was looking at the fruit value chain and just looking at that space and I wanted to do something with fruit. And so I settled in on dried fruit primarily because I just thought, oh, no one's really doing it. So I'll be the first and I'll just, you know, sort of run off um, with this uh, first mover advantage as it were, which, which actually first mover advantage is more like, you know, you slug for four years and like you, you know, you sort of create the market and um, other people come and copy you pretty yeah. much. But um, I mean, in our case, it, it sort of helped, but that's why I picked it. And, and there were also not very many sort of healthiest snacks in the market. And at the time in 2012, there was just a greater awareness about health and fitness. People mm. were, you know, looking for more natural options. So, you know, we rewrote on that momentum. And, and, and then what I also liked about it was that it was global in nature. It wasn't really um, just a Nigerian product. Um, we could sell it across the world. And that was always part of my, my aim and um, still is till today. We, we actually sell our products on Amazon and and, and funny enough, during like COVID, we had our highest like rate of sale. Oh, wow. um, but unfortunately, we've not been able to restock because of the you know interrupted air air travel and things like that. But yeah, so so we we're, we're really trying to push our products outside of Nigeria. We still want to be global, and we believe that this kind of product has global appeal. And and it sort of speaks to that you know what I spoke about Nigeria and Africa as a whole not being global in its ambition. Like I have global ambition. I want to build a business that is globally successful that, that, you know, you know, a lot of products that I eat here in Nigeria are not made here. Mm-hmm. Um, they're imported. And I think I could sell my products too across the world. Um, so that's kind of how we selected that and, and why we're still pushing that. And the market continues to grow. Um, you know, I, you know, Zubi, when I, when I first started tweeting at you before we started following each other, I used to say, well, you know, Zubi, your market is in America. It's in Texas. Like go there, <laughs> go there, go there. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of feel not the same way, but it, it kind of is that like, you know, there's a bigger world out there and I want to go and I want to keep pushing to get there um, <laughs> and cross that barrier and, and sort of prove that it can be done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and, and sort of create that example that Nigerian companies can really um, sort of find success outside of Nigeria as well. Yeah. Especially yeah. in America. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that'll be powerful. And I mean, yeah. and, 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 and the fact that Nigerians are everywhere. You know, I think we, yeah, yeah, we are certainly (laughs) maybe amongst all countries, but certainly amongst all African countries. I mean, the Nigerian diaspora is, is something else. I don't, I don't think there's, I've been to 30, I think 33 countries. I, I've met Nigerians in all of them. Yeah. I think, I I think every, like even the random, like the random places I've been to, like Slovenia and Serbia. Like, yeah, exactly. Uh, I'll see my husband what? went to some. Yeah, my <laughs> husband was like went to some village in Sevilla or something like that, and he just like saw two guys, and he's like, "You guys are Nigerian." And they thought, <laughs> you know, like this random village. He was there for a wedding, and it was like, "Yep, yeah, we're in all the nooks and crannies of this world." It's so, wild. Yeah, <laughs> we're all represented. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. So, what have you got? Um, so what have you got once the once the COVID situation? Mm-hmm. Um recovers what have you sort of got lined up have you got um new products coming out have you got other Mm -hmm. things that you're branching into what what's on the horizon yeah we're actually looking to um basically sort of i would say set up our formal retail in the u.s so once things sort of ease out we want to move a bunch of product and basically begin um a sort of a a sort of hybrid model of an e-commerce play and uh you know uh, offline sales and really build out, start to build out a retail um, retail network there. Um, I think there is, you know, we, we've seen enough signs that our products are well received. Um, they are liked and, and I think, you know, there's a big enough market for us to chase. So I think that's something that we're going to be doing early next year. Okay. And that's really just going to take us to a whole new sort of, um, you know, horizon really. And I think it's um, something I've been looking forward to doing for a while. And I think the timing is right um, for us to get there. So awesome. that that's pretty exciting, yeah. And we're launching a, bon- a bunch of other products as well. So we we want to come in with a bang. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And is um is all the fruit is all the fruit from Nigeria? Yes, for the most yeah. part. I mean, West Africa in general, but okay. most of it is from Nigeria. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. No, I, that that that's exciting. That's that's exciting. I'm, yeah, it uh, really is. It really yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> no, and especially in these times where you know, I mean, what I mean, I, I hate to bring up the pandemic. I know on YouTube, they, I watch a lot of YouTube, so there's some words people don't you don't, know don't talk about in their videos. Don't get striped and stuff, but. Yeah. I mean, the, the kind of colossal damage economically. I mean, people, I remember I was, I was attacked for saying things like, why would we take such a harsh, like, you know, hammer to nail approach to, to something like this that was so untested. But, you know, the economic bloodletting, the fact that, um, you know, there's a whole generation of children who have you know, whose learning has been stunted, yes. um, college kids getting graduated without learning anything. I mean, the, the, the cost of this thing has been so, you know, enormous across the world. I mean, people talk about, you know, the developed world because they can sort of recover, but for third, third world countries like ours, it, it is going to be a while before we even get to levels. I mean, we're already like sort of suffering, but, you know, we, we have even regressed even more. And, and for me, you know, I want to, I want to sort of, uh, to maintain, maintain an enthusiasm and an ambition that doesn't really, you know, sort of that, like sort of flies in the face of that narrative and, and that sort of, um, you know, 
basically the 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 outcome for most businesses is that they're shutting down especially small businesses mm-hmm. is that they're sort of letting go of employees and i kind of want to do the opposite i kind of want to rebel against you know this unfortunate thing that we handled so badly as the world and there's no justification i don't think anybody will convince me that there was any sort of like justification for taking such harsh um uh, harsh approaches um, to, to to sort of solving this problem that yeah. who knows whether or not it was solved by any of this, you know, sort of extreme measures, but um, but but the impact, like nobody's counting that, nobody's talking about that. Uh, people are being left behind and they will not catch up. Um, they have been sort of, um, um, you know, you know, sort of, you know, strike to people's lives that will take generations to overcome and overturn. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be... Um, I'm not trying to be, you know, exaggerate, but no, it is the truth. It's it true. is, it is things true. people just don't think about when you're on social media. You are really just talking about a superficial. I, I mean, the, the the trite, absolute. Sorry, I get really heated about this. <laughs> That's but, okay. Uh, That's okay. Trite, I hear you. I hear you. The, the trite conversation about oh, you just it was the economy versus lives. I was mm-hmm. like, you want to kill grandma? That, that was the headline. Affy doesn't care about the, Affy doesn't care about people's grandmas. You want everybody oh, yeah, to die? Oh yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I I was I was I was a I sort of attack for saying things like, you know, people are, are, are quote unquote, I hate this word, but weaponizing pictures of nurses, um, you know, who had scars on their faces from wearing masks. And it's like, but nurses are going out of work. My sister is a nurse in the US. Mm-hmm. People were getting laid off because people weren't coming to the hospital. Exactly. Actually, the bigger impact was that people were losing their jobs, losing mm-hmm. their livelihoods, mm-hmm. um, and not that they were being put at you know, risk because, or that, you know, they were, they were sort of, you know, sort of, they were being hard done by because they were wearing protective gear to solve yeah. a challenge. They were actually providing the solution. They were not meant to be like the, 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 the face of fear. They were meant to be the face of, you know, courage and mm-hmm. bravery. And it was used as though they were really like going, you know, they were, they were people basically, I'm not saying they didn't risk their lives yeah, yeah. and I'm not saying what they did wasn't courageous. I'm just saying the way the media painted it was to instill fear in us, not to give us hope that yep. there were people risking their lives to create the solution. And then mm-hmm. on the back of that, a lot of nurses, more nurses were out of work, didn't have hours than did. And and so when people, and, and, and then the ripple effects of all of that, people just don't talk about. And, and I feel, you know, it, it was, it, it was such a, um, you know, started opening my eyes basically to how we needed, I know we're going off topic, but no, sort fine, of disintermediate the news and just not focus on the mainstream media because the media is literally crafting how people should think and robbing totally. them of their ability to think. And at the same time, being extremely totalitarian about which ideas are considered deemed evil and which are, you know, maybe, uh, well, which are innately good because they just, you know, parrot what is being, what the, what the narrative of the day is, but the alternative is not debate to spur the best solution. The alternative is like you're being evil or you're care or you don't care about people's lives or you don't care, you know, you care about money only, or because you're an entrepreneur, you care about your business. And it's like, no, I, I employ people. I know what people do to survive, it, mm-hmm. you know, to rob their livelihoods or their source of livelihoods from them. Is, do, is, do you know, do you know um, one of the, sorry, do you, sorry to jump in. Do you know one of the biggest, the most ironic, there's a lot of ironic things about all of this, but yeah. one of them is the people who are going the hardest on this are the people who claim to care about jobs and, yeah. you know, um, income inequality 
and small businesses and this (laughs) and that, right? And everything they've done, all they've done is this has been a gigantic wealth transfer. Like I have no problem. I have no problem with billionaires personally, but for the people who apparently do, you've just facilitated like the greatest wealth transfer from small businesses and individuals to to the billionaires and the giant corporations. I mean, Amazon is booming right now, you know? (laughs) So Walmart is booming. All of these things are booming. Whereas the person who cuts your hair down the street or the small independent musicians or the people who are doing this or doing that, like these people are getting, are getting decimated. The small restaurants, everyone's getting decimated. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it was like, stay home and save lives. And it's like, no, I mean, let's not talk about the mental health. Everybody talks about mental health. I'm like, uh, if you read any stats on depression, suicide, anger, um, all these things, I mean, completely um, sort of through the roof during this period. I mean, yep. people were struggling mentally because it was prison imprisonment. Mm-hmm. And people use that again as a way to be, um, you know, have this moral high ground that if I'm staying home and I'm wearing this mask and I'm I'm not doing anything, I'm not living my life and, and sort of, you know, gaining 10 pounds because I'm sitting at home doing nothing, I'm somehow you know, a better person and that's somehow an ideal or somehow a, a, a fair price to pay for what we don't know is, a, well, is a pandemic in quote, because that was just, you know, um, <laughs> I mean, when you look at the numbers now, you wonder, you know, if we didn't overreact, but I mean, it's just, it's just like that, all of that, th- th- those are consequences and they're real. Um, and, and I think, you know, we, there was no space to even talk about that or no. debate that. And, and to your point about wealth, I asked, you know, I was speaking to my cousin about this and he was like, well, all the government stimulus is going to end up in the stock market. So, oh, yeah. only, you know, invest in stocks and then, you know, sort of you'll, you'll, that's your windfall. Um, yeah. It's not really going to trickle down to the average person. And again, like you said, it's, it's always, um, you know, the media just give people very creative ways to sort of, um, you know, get this dose of morality that we're all looking for and, and a very simplistic way um, to, to feel good about ourselves. So if you paint the picture and you give someone a simplistic sort of like idea of, of you know, you know, sort of hero versus villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, if once I once I say something that makes me look like a hero, I am. And if yeah. I don't, I'm a villain versus it's like the world is so complex and things are so complex and um, you know, you know, the, this situation was really handled like such an extreme that um, I, I, I remember um, you tweeted about, um, I don't know, it just hit me once when I read your tweet about politics and how you don't trust, like, not just that you don't trust politicians, we all know that nobody trusts politicians, but that like the man next to your your neighbor is more impactful and useful to your life something along those lines than a politician like you would trust a politician more and and this i think this whole crisis exposed how they don't have all the answers so it it was it it was very telling that we need to trust politicians less we need to you know we need to not give up our freedoms to people because they don't know it all um no no, they don't they're they're no they know very little they are no they're no smarter than us yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're no smarter than us. Like the, the average, yeah. pol- like, I'll, I'll say it straight. Like I'm way smarter than the average politician. Like they're, there's, they're not, they're not more intelligent they're, and they, and the incentives are worse, right? The incentives, I have no incentive. Yeah. I don't have an incentive to lie to people. I don't have yes, an incentive exactly. to exactly. make, to strike fear in people or to split them and divide them and put them at, like, you know, the media has an incentive. Politicians have an incentive. I don't like my neighbor doesn't yeah. like, we're just, we're just chilling, you know, we can just have an honest conversation and say, okay, like, you know, we think this, we think that, but everything, once it gets politicized, then 
you know, the honesty is gone. As soon as people are incentivized to lie, incentivized to create narratives and stick to narratives, incentivized to manipulate science and manipulate numbers however they want, manipulate headlines, and just feed into this fear machine. I mean, the media literally tells people what to care about. Like, If, if they decide yeah. tomorrow, if they decide tomorrow that, okay, we want everyone to care about climate change, they will just shift yeah. the narrative. They just shift the narrative yeah. and people are suddenly freaking out about climate change. Then a month yeah, later, exactly. they can say, you know what? Let's go back to coronavirus. We want to scare people about, then they start talking yeah. about the second wave. They start talking about yeah, exactly, spikes, right? right? They start, oh, you goodness. know, and then they can, yeah, actually, you know what? Election coming up. We want people to freak out about racism. Let's find every exactly. story. Let's find exactly. every incident of racism and let's explode it on social yeah. media. Let's put these images up and these videos and let's just get people thinking that there's a new epidemic of racism and, you know, hate crimes going on. And they can do it with mm-hmm. anything. And, and that, that's the thing that's anything. terrifying. That's actually yeah, scary. It is, it is. And, and that's why, and I think it's crazy. I mean, this, this crisis has created such a distrust, I think, for any thinking person in one institution. So the WHO, uh, the CDC, yep. I mean, all sorts of like global institutions, you realize these are people run by people. So the institutions are run by people who are looking out for themselves first and looking out for playing whatever political game they're playing. And it's not about, you know, the society at large and to the media, I have, I will not believe anything mainstream media says. Absolutely <laughs> not. They could, they could be a hundred percent truthful and I will not believe them because they aren't truthful. And now they're only incentivized to do things that basically bring, um, clicks and views to them. And so they will lie and manipulate and craft and, and in very devious ways too. So it's not even like it's innocent, um, you know, sort of hyperbole, et cetera. It's literally reframing. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I, I want to think for myself. I want to come to conclusions by myself. I don't want to be told, um, you know, I, I talked about this too, when, uh, you know, a major artist brings out like a CD and immediately there's like 50 think pieces about how this is just a cultural moment for the world. And it's like, you listen to the album and you're like, Oh, it's a pretty average album, but already (laughs) you're just, you know, sort of pummeled with all sorts of opinions around how it should be great. And the world should, you know, like, you know, this is such a brave thing or, you know, this breakthrough idea. And I'm like, well, you know, it, it happened in a room, they've collaborated. There's a lot of marketing people, you know, pushing the envelope. I'm sure it's not as deep as it's being made out to be. And, you know, you, you can't even have an alternate opinion that something is average when a hundred like media outlets are telling you like it's the best thing since sliced bread. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't, you can't think for me and it should be okay for me to not appreciate something. There should be like diversity of thought and opinion. And, How dare you? And it should be welcomed. Like, I don't, I don't need to follow, follow suit. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I think we just accept it till you start seeing the trends and you wake up and you're like, oh crap, I, I've just been a sheep pretty much. And it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty frightening because most people just, you know, carry on, um, um, you know, without actually really stopping to interrogate. Yeah, it's true. I can't, I can't nod, I can't nod my head any harder. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Afi, where can people find you online and where can they find your company and your products online? 
Yeah, so my my website is uh, my company is called Real Fruit. Uh, www.reelfruit.com. So Real Fruit spelled spelled R E E L. Um, on social media, I'm most active on Twitter. Um, my handle is Afi Superstar. A F F I S U P A S D A R. Um, I can I love interacting with people there for as best as I can. Um, and um, yeah. That's, you know, that's where to find me. We're on Instagram in terms of our products as well. So if you just Google um, Real Fruit, uh, you know, people can can reach out to me um, and connect with me that way. Awesome. Afi, it's been a pleasure to finally talk to you. I was going to say in person. Yeah. Uh, this isn't quite in person, but it's it's better than Twitter. So. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, you know, I was like, let me, you know, when you put out that post about, you know, who, who do you want me to talk to? I was like, let me just shoot my shot. I really don't do things like that. Cause I'm just, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm opinionated, but I'm not like a super, super pushful, but I just said, what's the worst that could happen? I mean, you're going to get a ton of, re- and, you know, requests and you're not going to uh, even see mine come up. But for when I, when I got the DM, I was very, very excited. I thought I was like, wow, okay, that's, that's fantastic. And, and congrats on all your success. Ruby. I mean, I, I follow your, I'm really, really inspired by what you're building. I think you're, you're doing something fantastic and amazing in terms of just like growing your brand and, and really, um, you know, building a business around, you know, being authentically yourself. I think that's fantastic. It's, it's exciting. I don't know how you do it, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's great to watch. Um, um, and I wish you a lot more success. And it's been fantastic to, to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. No doubt. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand. Stunt me and destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.